Well, good morning. Good morning. Woo. Uh, my name is Jordan Tuttle. I'm the youth pastor here at Discover Christian Church, and I am so excited to get to be here and speak and, and be with you this morning and, and continue in worship uh, through the Word of God this morning. If you've noticed, a couple of our staff members have been wearing these uh, nice, soft, green t-shirts. Uh, it says, love God, love people, impact the world. And on the back here, we have Discover's logo on the back. These shirts will soon be for sale. Uh, our, our target is for, at the Dublin Irish Festival, we're going we're gonna to be attending the Dublin Irish Festival. We also have services back here at the church. If you would like to wear this shirt to the Irish Festival and to church that day, we will just, it would be awesome to have a great showing of Discover Christian Church, and you can wear this shirt proudly around uh, the city of Columbus and wherever you go, or whether it's on vacation this summer or whatever that may be. So look forward for, to that and, and, and look for more announcements as far as t-shirts go. Uh, we're super excited about it. Uh, Daniel and I have been working on this. Uh, Daniel, I'm let me tell you something. I'm so glad that Daniel is here this summer. Um, he has helped me immensely uh, with, with a lot of things that are going on. So that aside, today we're beginning a new series, and it's called What's in Your Backpack? Uh, we see we have here uh, Cindy provided these awesome camping packs for us just to give us a picture, an example of what it might look like, uh, a backpack. What, what's in your backpack? In this series, we're going to talk about different tools different tools that are given from God in order to face different obstacles in life. These tools aren't physical things. We're not going to talk about a hammer and, uh, well, in your camping pack, you'd put like a sleeping bag and you'd have uh, maybe a pot or a pan and then other, other things like that. We're not, going, we're not going to talk about physical tools. We're going to talk about uh, objects of life change, objects of life change, because there's something, there, there's something that we're seeking out in, in our relationship with God. We're going, to talk, uh, we're going to talk about them in terms uh, of movement. We're going to talk about these tools in, in terms of movement. We're going, to, we're going to talk about the subject of spiritual transformation. And that's kind of a daunting uh, term, spiritual transformation. I don't know if I'm in, into that. Uh, that sounds crazy. That sounds intense. Um, a pastor that I worked with in India, Indiana is named Steve Deneff. Uh, he co-authored a book called Soul Shift, The Measure of a Life Transformed. In it, he writes... Transformation is a miracle, but it is not magic. It doesn't happen in an instant. It isn't easy or fun to watch. It doesn't defy logic. Sins don't disappear overnight. And we don't pull new virtues out of thin air. If you have tried many times to be different but haven't changed, if you feel de defeated by the same old sin, or if God feels more distant than before, take heart. Don't quit. God has not given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Begin again, only this time, ask God to change you into a different person. We're going to go through and pinpoint specific things in our lives uh, that need work, and we're going to name them. We're going to name them and boldly name them. We're going to recognize our failures. We're going to ask God to change our inner selves. Uh, and this, this, is, this is challenging. We're going we're gonna to ask God for soul change. This isn't going to be, be easy on us. These, these are challenging subjects. Each week we will follow a story of Scripture that's an example of this spiritual transformation. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about faith. 
we're going to be talking about moving from fear to faith. And the, the words in that song we, we just sang, Lazarus, it says, you took my fear to faith. We're going to be moving from fear to faith. This might be one of the most challenging subjects for myself uh, because I'm a worrier. But let's go to God and, and then dig in. God, we are here today coming before a father unlike any other. And we are thankful. We are thankful for you, and, and we are thankful that you have sent your son. We boldly pray for life change. And I pray that the words of my mouth uh, would not be from me, but from you. Amen. So today we're going to be digging into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bible here uh, with you today, that's great. If not, you can follow along with us electronically. Actually, on YouVersion, uh, we have an event posted each week. So if you have a, the YouVersion Bible app on your tablet or on your phone, uh, you can follow along with, with our event, Discover Christian Church. Um, it, so we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's, it's a very, very well-known story. You might, your ears might have perked up right when you heard that. Uh, and we've probably heard this a thousand times. But there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn from the story of David and Goliath. It's one of my favorite stories, uh, one that I've heard many times, but it's, it's always one of my favorite stories. And today I'm going to tell that story much like uh, some of you might have done in your life groups, uh, where you've read through the story and you've, you've led the life group that week. You've, you've read through the story, and then you tell the story yourself, and then you dissect it as a group. Uh, I'm going to kind of do a little bit of the same thing. I'm going to pick up and read at times, uh, so, so it's good to follow along. I'll be going through 1 Samuel 17. So Israel, uh, to set up the story, so Israel uh, is, is becoming this nation known for their God. They're becoming this nation known, uh, of they're, the, they're the, God, the God, they have the God of Israel on their side. They, they're known for their God, and Saul, the king of Israel, has just defeated this, this powerful nation of the Amalekites with his army, but, but had gone against God, but had gone against what God had wanted him to do at the end of this battle. Uh, God said that he wanted him to destroy everything, and Saul took the leader captive and, and some of the other men. He took the leader of, of this nation captive, and he went against what God was, was telling him to do. So now, he and his army sit on top of this hill, and then there's this giant valley, and then on top of another hill, the growing power, the Philistines, are sitting on the other side of the hill. And I don't really know anything about battle except from movies like Lord of the Rings or something like that, so I'm not really the person to really give us the in-depth uh, battle design or whatever. I mean, I played with army men when I was little, but that's about it. But as far as that goes, all I know is the person that goes into the valley first, they're toast, right? So they, they lose the high ground. They're going to lose a lot of their men. Uh, that's just reality. So the first person to charge down in this valley would be toast. So both armies are just kind of sitting there. Uh, it's kind of a stalemate. And, and then out comes Goliath, right? The champion of the Philistines, Goliath. He is this humongous man. Uh, Goliath came out of their camp, and Scripture says that he is about nine foot nine. That's uh, pretty tall. Put it in perspective. I am six foot four. I'm not short. Uh, Tom, how how tall are you? Six six. Tom Norka, six six. I mean, he's real tall too. So we have we have some tallness here, right? Shaquille O'Neal, he's seven foot two. So he's about a foot foot taller than me. But Goliath is like two feet taller 
than Shaq. That's crazy, okay? So this guy is, this guy is huge, and, and he was armored from head to toe, just full of bronze armor. The, the chest plate was humongous, and, and he had this really long spear, and at the end of the spear, it had this iron piece that was 15 pounds. So he's just this humongous man, and, and a mountain of a man. And it's un- unbelievable, these, these, these people, the, the people of Israel are like, there's no way. We, and, and he's standing on top of this hill, and he's shouting at the Israelite camp. And here's what I'm going to pick up in Scripture, 1 Samuel uh, 17, 8 to 10. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So he's, he's standing on top of this other side of the hill and he's challenging the Israelite army with all that he's got. I mean, he is a terrifying mountain of a man. And something that, that is unbeatable, right? And understandably, the Israelites were terrified, including Saul. But the problem here, the problem here is, is in Scripture we find that they say that Saul is the tallest man in all of Israel. So the Israelite army is like, wait, aren't you supposed to be fighting him? Wait, isn't this your job? Why are you asking us to take care of this? You're the tallest guy here. You're the biggest one here. He should probably be the one to fight him, right? Don't make us do it. It, In comes David to the story. So the, the, the young hero, David. David was the youngest of eight sons to a guy named Jesse. Uh, who, who was a shepherd. And at this time, Jesse was a little bit older, so David, the youngest, uh, started to do most of the shepherding. Something that, that most people forget about this story is that at this point, uh, David has actually already pledged to uh, be a servant of Saul. So at this time, when this, ar- when this standstill is going on, David is moving back and forth between the Israelite camp, serving Saul, going home, and shepherding, and it says he, he kills a lion and a bear, just, oh my, he, he, you know, he's, he's, he's got this, this power about him, but, he, but he's this young, small guy, uh, it, the Bible says that he was ruddy and handsome, uh, but he, he's, this, he's this young guy, and, and most people forget that, that he was still taking care of his father's sheep, but he was also serving Saul at the time. Uh, so Goliath came out for 40 straight days, Forty straight days, he stood atop the hill, and he was screaming and yelling and, and, and defying the God of Israel and saying, you cannot defeat me. One day, David dropped his things and ran to the battle line, and he heard Goliath shouting. David, angry because of uh, what he had just heard, asked the people around him, who does this guy think he is? He thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? Someone explains to him uh, what happens if someone defeats Goliath, and Saul overhears that, that David is saying these things. So Saul sins for David. Saul sins for David, and, and here's the part uh, that, I, that I really want to make known. If you look in, your, in the scripture at 1 Samuel 17, 32, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart 
on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And now this may seem insignificant, but David, this young man amongst all of these warriors of Israel, the tallest man in Israel, your servant will go and fight him. I'm not afraid. So to this point in the story, um, kind of seems that David isn't a very good example of fear. Um, <laughs> he hasn't really portrayed a lot of, uh, of the fearful side uh, of the human. Uh, he's, he's been all about, you know, he's conquered lions and bears, and, he's, and he wants to fight uh, this giant. David, this, this young kid, this young kid is, is wanting to fight a giant, and, and, and no one wants to stand in, in front of him for him. When I was a kid, my dad would come upstairs into my brother and I's room, or me and my brother's room, sorry, grammar. Uh, he would come upstairs into me and my brother's room, and, and as we were going to bed, he would always sing, always sing, every night, every night. And sometimes, I, I, in the moment, I was like, oh my goodness, dad, you are so annoying. Holy, holy cow, you are so annoying. I, and he would come up and He's just a goon, so he'd come up and do his dance, and it was just embarrassing. And there's no one even in the room. I'm still embarrassed. Uh, it's, it, it was just amazing. Uh, but I look back at it today. At the time, at the time I was annoyed, and I look back at it today, and I, and I look at it very, very differently. I look at it very differently. Every night, it seemed that, that he sang the same song. And it's a song that, that I've known for, for most of my life, and a song that I've cherished for a lot of my life. Um, and it's a song by Rich Mullins, and it's called What Trouble Are Giants. If you've heard this song, uh, the, the chorus goes like this. What trouble are giants? What's wrong with being small? You know, the bigger they come, the harder they fall. When you're fighting for Zion and you're on the Lord's side, something you're going to find, there ain't no trouble at all. Now, now, I can't wait to sing this with Kelly and I's kids in the future. Uh, no, that's not an announcement. Um, but I, I, can't wait, I can't wait to sing this uh, to Kelly and I's kids in the future. And just, just an awesome song that, that I can uh, keep that tradition that my father uh, had for me in many, many a stormy night uh, when my dad would come in and, and sing uh, to my brother and I. Uh, now, there must, this, the, the last verse says this. It says, now there must have been some laughter among the Philistines. At the sight of this scrawny little, little shepherd coming out to meet the record-breaking mammoth of a man who was a killing machine. But it didn't shake David because he was smart enough to know it's more the size of who you put your faith in than the size of your foe. Now, what a simple, simple concept. But isn't that the truth? It's more the size of who you put your faith in than the size of your foe. And this man might have been a, Goli a Goliath giant, but a Goliath, that's his name. He might have met it been a giant or a mammoth of a man is what this says. But David knew that his God's so much bigger than that. His God is so much bigger than that. Today we aren't fighting a physical giant, but an inner giant, fear. I asked my life group this question on Wednesday, uh, what is... What are, what are some of our biggest fears as humans? What are some of our biggest fears as humans? And, and the, response, the response that I was specifically looking for was death. Death. We're afraid of death. And it, it, it's, it's one of the greatest fears that we face, especially uh, when we look into it. 
we become more and more anxious about it. There's, there's just so much there. Um, there. There's so much to fear, it seems. Uh, you know, the, the, first, the first century Christians looked at death with great anticipation. They used to celebrate the day of a man's funeral rather than the day of his birth. And now that may seem morbid, but the reality is they don't want to die. They're not sitting here wanting to die. This just suggests that we shouldn't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of death because we know the truth. With that being said, one of the first things we should do with fear is identify the fear. We need to identify the fear. Why are you afraid of dying? Well, I'm afraid of dying because uh, I'll lose everything that I've worked for. I'm afraid of dying because what will happen to my family? If I go and I'm, I'm the main supporter of my family, what will happen to my family? Or if I go, what will happen to my spouse? What will happen to my kids? And that's a very real fear. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't want to downplay that. Uh, what if I'm not sure where I'm going? What if I'm not sure where I'm going? I stand here knowing that I've feared these same things. But let's look at David's example. Psalm 56, 3 to 4, he says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals do to me? You know what mortals can't do? Take away eternity. Uh, when I was in middle school, uh, I went snowboarding out west with my family at my favorite place in the world, Breckenridge, Colorado. And I know some of the teens have heard this story, and I know uh, that my life groups heard this story, so they're probably like, oh, here he goes again with this skiing story. So sorry for the repetition, but... Um, I, I loved snowboarding, and we went to Breckenridge almost every year for like eight years. It was, it was an awesome time, and I became a pretty good snowboarder, I would hope so, after eight years of a whole week spending out there. Um, me, and a, me and a few friends, one of the years that we went, decided that we were going to go to the peak of the mountain. And uh, Breckenridge has four different skiable peaks. Um, it's weird because they're 7 through 10. That doesn't make any sense because shouldn't it be 1, 2, 3, and 4? Anyway, that's beside the point. The middle two peaks, which is the one that you go to, they're 14,000 feet above sea level. So this is like really high in the air. I don't know if you know that, but that's really high in the air. Um, and I, me, uh, middle schooler, was like, let's go. This sounds fun. That was a terrible idea. So Matt, uh, Matt, who was a year older than me, and then Greg, who was three years younger than me, decided that we were going to go up uh, to, the, to the peak of this mountain. So we, we, took, we took three different ski lifts to get to the top of the mountain. And once we got there, we had to walk across the face of the mountain. So what that means is, you know, you're looking at the peak. Oh, look, right there. The top of the peak there. And, and you walk across, like, right at the top. You have to walk across the face. You don't walk over the top of the mountain. That'd be kind of silly. Um, you walk across the face of the mountain, and if you've been skiing out west, uh, you, you, you might know what a catwalk is. A catwalk is a, is a, is a path that you can uh, kind of push your skis on, and, and, and this catwalk wasn't quite like that. This catwalk at the very top of the mountain was more uh, angled. Uh, it was like kind of really steep. And me, a snowboarder, 
I have to pick up my board on every, pack, on every catwalk. So I pick up my snowboard, and I'm walking on this catwalk, and the wind's blowing, and I'm kind of like hanging on for dear life. I mean, I only weighed like 130 pounds back then, so I mean, I'm just like going crazy. And um, so, so the heavy wind walking across the peak of this mountain, and Matt, who was in the back, a year older than me, slipped, slipped and fell. And he started to slide down the mountain. And he tries to catch his footing. And when he, try, when he does catch his footing, instead of stopping, he starts tumbling head over heels down the mountain. He falls 300 yards down the mountain. And Greg and I are just standing there in shock. Like, we don't, we, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We're terrified. So he gets up. He gets up and gives us the thumbs up, like nothing happened. <laughs> and we're, we're freaking out, right? The, the hand of God was at work that day. Oh, my goodness. The, I, I don't know. To, to this day, I don't know how to explain how he's okay because he just got up and was like, eh, and, and he called his brothers, and they're like Navy SEALs, so they came and got him, and it was all okay. But I, the older one at this point, had to get Greg down the mountain, who was three years younger than me, than me or I was going to be in big trouble. Not just, like, I was in big trouble anyway, but his mother was going to kill me if I, you know, if I didn't get him safely down the mountain. So, so I, we start walking and we, and in panic, just terrified. So we, 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 we had to get home. We had to get home. We had to get home. And that's what kept driving me forward. We got to the other side. And we sat down, took a break, because at the altitude, we can barely breathe. So we're sitting there, and we need some water. Camelback, you know, the thing that you strap on your back. Put it in my mouth, and it's frozen shut. Both of our camelbacks are frozen shut, um, because it, it was like zero degrees or something like that. It was crazy. Um, so we're sitting there, panicking, no water, and I'm like, all right, we're leaving. We're going, down the, we're going down the mountain right now. So we start scooting on our butts down the side of the mountain. So if you look at that mountain right there, just picture us kind of scooting down <laughs> one side of the peak. Just kind of silly. But what we were going for is what's called the whale's tail. So there's two peaks of the mountain, and the whale's tail is this giant like clump of snow. And just like in this picture, you have those two uh, mountains coming together like that, those two peaks coming together. That's called a whale's tail. And in this case, it was a, just a ton of snow, snow-covered mountain. And we are sliding on our butts. And, and when we get to the point where we're not on a slope really anymore, we stand up and start walking toward the center uh, where you're supposed to go off. And uh, to give you a little bit of perspective of, uh, of what I'm looking at here, um, I, uh, I look down at my feet, and I can see both sides of the mountain. So <laughs> I'm in a little bit of panic right here because the snow is like crunchy hard and, and not soft where I can dig my feet in. I'm just kind of slipping all over the place in my uh, snowboard boots. And uh, it, was, it was crazy. I was terrified. We get to the middle, sit down. And in the midst of all of this fear and panic, we look up. And everything stands still. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life to this day. I, I don't even know how to describe it. You can see the land divide. You can see everything. You can see the entire town of Breckenridge. You can see miles away. I don't know how far the eye can see. It's like 20 miles or something. I don't, I don't know. But I could see everything. 
And all, I just, all of this panic, all of this fear just stopped. And God knew exactly what I needed. God knew exactly what I needed. God's creation smacked me in the face. He turned my fear into faith. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid anymore. I don't know what it was. I wasn't afraid anymore. I was weirdly excited. Uh, I was weirdly excited. Greg and I strapped on our boards, and I scooted up to the edge, and I hit my board on the, on the edge of, of the snow, and snow just kind of tumbles down the mountain. And I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so I lower Greg down. It's about a 10-foot drop to the actual slope. I lower Greg down, and I'm like, well... I guess I have to jump. So uh, it was probably way less graceful than I thought it was when I got down, but I had to jump down. It took us an hour and a half to get down to the bottom of the slopes. The most amazing snowboarding ride, or whatever you would call it, I've ever had in my life. It, it, was, it was awesome. And the reason I tell you this story is because that was probably the scariest moment in my life so far. I don't know what you're facing, uh, but we all face things that seem worthy uh, of incredible fear. That's why we have to identify the fear. Then, identify the problem with that fear. Identify the problem with that fear. We know the rest of the story of David and Goliath. David gathers stones from the river, slings one at Goliath's head, knocks him right in the forehead, and he falls down dead. All I can picture is a little asparagus throwing stone at a pickle, like in ve the VeggieTales film. It's just kind of a silly picture in my head, but that's all I can think of. Uh, but, but if you haven't seen the VeggieTales film, it's the best one out there. It's, it's David and Goliath. Uh, but anyway, so David, David kills this giant with a stone. Uh, David, uh, he, and, and he falls dead, and David knew the problem. He knew the problem with the Israelites' fear. David said this before Goliath, uh, before he killed Goliath. This is in 1 Samuel 17, 45 uh, to 47. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. Pretty bold statement from David. David was fighting on God's side. The problem with the fear that I had on the mountain, the problem that the Israelites had, the problem with the fear that the Israelites had is that God's in control. God is in control. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's easy to say. And it is. It really is. It's way easier to say than it is to act out. I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm the last person to say, uh, you know, this is the easiest thing in the world. And I'm also the last person to say that I love practicing things. Um, I, when, when I was in school, I had a professor uh, tell the class that I was in, uh, that the best way to get rid of sin's control over your life is to respond with the Word of God. So in, in this moment of fear, in, in this moment of uh, needing to move from fear to faith, the Word of God, respond with the Word of God.
I have been challenging myself recently to memorize some scripture. Uh, it has been really difficult, uh, but really beneficial. And I honestly don't have that many memorized yet. But the ones that I do have memorized are ingrained in my head. And every time they come up, every time we're in small group, I'm sitting there thinking, well, this verse that I memorized makes sense with that. And it's just, it's, it's a great tool to have constantly uh, to battle against the enemy, to battle against Satan, to constantly respond with the words and the power of God. It becomes a part of you. And you know, fear not, fear not is the most common command in the Bible. And some people like to say that it's 365 times, uh, but that's actually incorrect. It's like over 500 times, which is actually better, right? I mean, <laughs> if it were just 365 times, that'd be once for every day of the year. But if it's 500, then you have some days with two. Uh, that's great. Um, <laughs> so I identify the fear. Identify the problem with that fear. Uh, just use some of those tools to kind of, when you're, when you're identifying the problem, uh, how, to, how to face that. And make you, it'll make you more aware in the moment. And the reality is, the, the thing that people struggle with the most when it comes to life change is that every single, every, every change becomes, I'll take care of that later attitude. I'll take care of that later. I'll take care of that later. Um, maybe not even that. So let's just say, let's just say that I love washing the dishes, right? Which is not true. Uh, but let's, let's pretend for a moment that I love washing the dishes, and I just can't stop washing the dishes. It's just my favorite thing to do, and I can't stop doing it. It's, it's amazing. And for this moment, we can pretend that washing dishes is a bad, is a bad thing, which I kind of actually think that it's a bad thing. But not really. I'm kidding. That's weird. But um, <laughs> So let's, let's pretend that I love washing dishes, and I can't stop. Uh, but if I were to say that I'm not going to wash dishes this week, what will happen? I'll probably wash the dishes. Because temptation doesn't just come once a week, right? Temptation doesn't just come once in your lifetime. Temptation comes hourly, minute by minute. Temptation is a daily struggle. So when we have this temptation of fear, we need to say, God, I'm going to know that you are in control today. I'm going to know that you're in control tonight. I'm going to know that you're in control for this next three hours. And, and then maybe once, you, once you've gotten more of a grip of that, you can follow through and, and make bigger promises to yourself of self-control. You can make bigger promises uh, of self-control. Um, earlier I mentioned that death is as one of our biggest fears. And I, I begin to wonder about it because it no longer actually becomes a battle of what will happen, uh, it becomes an inner battle of belief. Do I actually believe that there is a God? Do I actually believe in heaven and that I'm going there? Let me tell you what I believe is the truth. I believe that Jesus, the Christ, he's the son of the living God, and he came to earth, he died on a cross, was buried then three days later, later, he rose from the dead, and that's the gospel. Because I believe the good news of Jesus, I believe in the resurrection, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the body of Christ. That is us. <laughs> I believe in, in the resurrection. In this good news, we believe in God's victory over sin. 
It took a perfect lamb to be sacrificed, a perfect lamb. That perfect lamb had to be Jesus because he was the only perfect human. He was 100% human and 100% God, not 50% and 50%. He was 100% human. He was a perfect human because he was 100% God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the sting of sin is death. Well, because I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, I believe that he has defeated death. Therefore, because of my belief in him, I will spend eternity with him. Are there times when my faith wavers? Yes. Are there times when the staff's faith wavers? Yes. Sin's power is the law. And, in Paul, and Paul wrote in Romans 5 that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Grace. Grace. <laughs> I forget about it all the time. Don't we? Grace. Sometimes I find myself beating myself up in my own mind because the fears that I am facing, the fears that I'm having tend to end up in an inner battle of another fear, the fear of failure. They tend to end up in another fear, the fear of failure. As I researched people's greatest fears, I scrolled through the irrational ones like fear of spiders and snakes and sharks, but the fear of clowns is real, y'all. That's legit. That's a... Those are terrifying, like, um, clowns are scary. Steve bought this, like, little clown thing, and he puts it in our office, and I hate it so much because it's just terrifying. <laughs> but everything led, everything led to, the, to fear of death being second and the fear of failure being the greatest. And this was interesting to me. Uh, it was kind of strange to me. It seems to me that fears lead to other fears. In this case, the fear of death, uh, it seems to lead to the fear of failure. Do I have enough faith? When it comes down to it, I always laugh at this, this inner battle. Um, it's it, it just, what if, I, what if I don't go to heaven? It, it's, it's silly if you think about it, that this God that is so powerful and loving and had this great plan that is all about grace and the gift of eternality and I'm sitting here wondering if I'm good enough. <laughs> and I'm just like, Jordan, what are you, what are you talking about? God, is, God wants to give you grace. God, God is all about grace. That's why he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could have life. And don't take this, this the wrong way. I'm not laughing at the fear of failure. This is a very real fear. It's something that I know I face all the time. Uh, but let me tell you this. If you're here today and you're, not, you're just not sure of things, maybe you're facing great fears of failure. Maybe uh, you're here today and you and your spouse are struggling with your marriage. Things just never seem to stop. There's always an obstacle. There's always going to be an argument. There's always going to be something that I'm doing wrong. Maybe you're dealing with the struggle of general anxiety. You're so sick of having to face it every day and it just makes you angry at this point. You're, you're sick of it. No matter what you try, no matter what you do, it's always there, and it's going to stay. Maybe you're here today, and you're having trouble with the relationship between you and your child. Nothing you say seems to get through to them. Nothing you do for them seems cherished or appreciated. No, no matter what you try, you continue to feel like you're not a good enough parent. Maybe you're dealing with health issues. Every day you face it, you're afraid uh, it, that it will never go away. It will never get better. It will never get easier. 
I can go on, but I don't know what your fear is. You know what that constant nagging in the back of your head is. You know what you face. Guess what? So does God. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. God hasn't given up on you. The fear of failure is a lie. It is a lie that is being constantly thrown at you. As a student minister, uh, I, th- I kind of think a lot about students. You guys, they are facing things that are so crazy, and I say this a lot, and I know I say this a lot, but it's because it's really important to repeat over and over and over again that they are being thrown lies from the media, from school, work, friends, teachers, family, sports, and everything else that are telling them that they aren't good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, strong enough, or cool enough than ever before. Every day they face this when they walk into that school. Every day they face this when they go to practice. They might not know it in the moment. They also know the struggles that adults face. There are things telling you that you aren't rich enough, you aren't important enough, healthy enough, you aren't the best parent, you're too young, you're too old, you're not experienced enough, you're too experienced. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. God hasn't given up on you. Begin again. This time... Ask God to change you into a different person. Ask God for life change. When you begin to see the change in your life, you see the way that it affects others, and it's worth it. It's worth it. Right now we're going to move into a time of communion and response. One of my favorite things about communion is it's a time to sit before God and name what's in front of me. So if you're facing a fear today, if you're facing something that's been nagging you for years, it might not just be something that has just come up. You can sit with God. Name that fear. Name that struggle. And God, you are in control. We recognize that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to God and he, and he handed it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat for this is my body which was broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he, hand, and he gave thanks to God and he handed it to his disciples and said, take and drink from this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant that was poured out for many. And this new covenant is grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful for what you're doing now, what you have done, and what you will do. God, I pray that we would put our trust in you. I pray that we would know that you are in control. I pray that we would know that this gift of eternity is something real that we can look forward to, that this life, this short life, is so small in the reality of time. God, I pray that we would trust in you as God our Father, knowing that you're going to comfort us with your righteous right hand. We pray as we leave today that that our faith wouldn't just affect ourselves, but that people around us would see that our faith is affecting them because of the power of God, not because of something that we do. God, we trust in you in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please take the emblems as they are passed.